Good morning. Please do turn to Acts or Acts chapter 11. And as you do that, may I encourage you please to be available for the extended prayer time on Thursday. Uh, a church that does not pray is uh, a dead church. Uh, so please do come uh, and we pray together to trust the Lord for this year, for many other activities as we take off. So please do come on Thursday. Acts 11, we read verse 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Well, maybe let's pick up from verse 20, uh, that we have some level of appreciating the setting. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church, and he taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We are grateful that it is the day that you have met. And we ask that we will be glad in this day. May we also be deliberate about how we observe the day, knowing that it is your day the Lord's day. We ask therefore that may our business be about to honor you in very specific ways, fitting for the Lord's day for the children of God. We ask therefore that even as we've gathered as an assembly, we plead that we'll be a people that will worship you in truth and in spirit, each one and corporately, that your name alone will be exalted among us. So thank you for being with us from the dawn of this day to this stage so far. Thank you for the activities that have taken place, the study of your word, the praying together, the singing, and the further the listening to the public reading of the scriptures, the notices. We thank you, O oh God, and in regarding the notices, we want to pray for each and every item that was announced echoing the words of the chair that will respond to these notices appropriately, trusting that we've received them and that we'll remember 
and that will attend to those meetings announced, that will do those things we asked to do, and that will be available in all those areas that we are asked to be available. We do pray, our Father, pleading that your grace will be sufficient for us, that when the notices are made, they will not simply be a routine activity, but that there will be reminders on how we worship our great God in various ways, on different days as members of this local church. We pray for them, Saunders, commending them to you at the loss of a loved one in the family. And as they arrange the putting to rest of the body, we ask that you be with them and that you, our God in heaven, grant them strength and all that is needed to ensure that this whole process honors you. We pray for the loss at George. We ask our Father also that as the body will be put to rest, as we are told tomorrow, that again your grace will be with that family, and that as we attend the burial also, that minister of the word will bear much fruit. We ask our Father, particularly for the deacons and the mission team, as they put logistics in place, we commend them to you, that walk with them and grant that our Father the gospel ultimately will be testified to in how we minister in that context. We thank you for the days of meeting, prayer meetings and Bible studies. We ask our God that you be with us as we study your word. This Thursday, as we come, we pray that many of us will come and that many of us will come and pray, lifting our hearts to you through Jesus Christ. We pray for our brother, Lanjav Kapalu, who is not well in body. We commend him to you, that you will undertake for him, that your right powerful hand would rest upon him and impute healing that only comes from above. Our Father, grant that we would say that all that we've lifted up to you and the things in our hearts and our minds, oh, we commend this to you that you would hear us. Now we pray that you bless the preaching of your word and that you bless us together. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They were first called Christians and at Antioch. What is our nickname as Indola Baptist Church? We noticed that this was a nickname. This was a name given to the believers who were assembling in Antioch when they were observed and they concluded that these men and women, boys and girls, lived conducted themselves, spoke, related as Christ has instructed them and as Christ had demonstrated to them. We noticed that they did not call themselves Christians. They were called Christians. They were called Christians corporately. They were called Christians by others. They were called Christians, literally those belonging to Christ's party. Christians, followers of Christ, not followers of Barnabas or Paul primarily, but followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we spent time on last Lord's Day, simply reflecting on the fact that they were called Christians first at Antioch, and what that implies, and what that is a challenge of uh, to us, each one.
But as we look at that text, we must then ask a question as well by way of observation. We are called Christians at Antioch firstly. But what would we say? Is it that nurtured them? What would we provide as the basis of their conduct? What in the text and in the apostolic teaching was the manual for their lives? And Luke is deliberate in providing details to ensure that we are told and informed, instructed and challenged that they were called Christians not without a basis, not without a manual, that their lives were as a result of the teachings that were going on. So we noticed in the first place they were called Christians at Antioch, but in the second place, notice that which fed these Christians, that which nurtured their conduct. And I'm calling that the ministry of teaching and preaching. They were called Christians because they lived according to the ministry of the word, will be told in Acts chapter 6. They were called Christians because their conduct was consistent with what they were taught. 11, 25, and 26. And when he had found him, well, let's pick up at verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church the corporate body for one solid year. Now that's not to indicate that's how far the church studied the word. That is simply to tell us that's how much time Paul spent. For a whole year they met Paul and Barnabas and there is the activity we are told for a whole year they primarily were engaged in. They taught they taught. Now we were reminded here that Ezra read the scriptures for half a day. The following day they came back. Oh, here is even a more extended period for one year. And the implication is every day they met. They taught. The ministry of teaching and preaching, the ministry of the word cannot be divorced from the Christian life. We cannot live Christian lives without sound biblical teaching. So Barnabas went to Tessus to look for Saul. 
And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So notice, beloved, that which was the food. I think as we heard in one of the praise songs, this will be my daily bread. The word that's going to be not my weekly bread, my daily feeding. That's the kind of thinking that we have in the scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone. And the implication is just as we eat every day, we feed on his word every day. What is reported by Luke in chapter 11 of Acts 27 is what we may call, as you observe in the text, a recruitment exercise by Barnabas of a preacher and a teacher of the word for the church in Antioch. Not that Barnabas was not competent to instruct, but he, in a sense, acknowledges that there is a gifting the Apostle Paul has. There is a ministry that is required here, and the Apostle Paul would be that person to come and minister in this context. There are many that could come, but he went and recruited. He went and looked for Paul. And he went and looked for Paul to come and do what we are told in the text, that the both of them would teach this new church for a whole year. The efforts that Barnabas employed in looking for Paul are supplied by Luke's details of Barnabas' efforts in this recruitment undertaking underline the importance ascribed to the ministry of the world. Luke is very clear. Then as we read the writings of Luke, remember what he has told us in his first or section A of his book. This is a carefully researched work. This is not some careless putting together of thoughts. He's an academician. He's going to use the words as appropriately and as clearly and as specifically as academicians do. If there is one thing I hated, maybe for those of you that are lecturers here, here is something that you may want to know your students feel when there is too many red marks. No, when you miss a comma, they just put comma missed, full stop missed. Uh, it's not yesterday, it's tomorrow. Uh, and it's all red and it's grammar. And the thing is, pay attention to what you're saying and communicate it as accurately as you can. It's only in preaching we say things like, in other words, uh, what I wanted to say, now I am saying it, but here is what now I'm... It's only in preaching and bad preaching. In academics, you don't have that luxury. Of what I mean, lecturer, is this. Now, in other words, just in case you didn't get me in paragraph one, you get it in paragraph three. No, you only have so many words uh, and so many pages. 
And Luke is a researcher top-notch. That what he writes, it's deliberate and purposeful. So when he tells us, and look at the words he uses, and I'm saying this to underline, that Luke is wanting to tell us Barnabas is going to this extent because of the importance of the ministry of the word. And how does he show us this? Here is what Luke tells us. So Barnabas went to Tessus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. The effort that Barnabas employed in looking for Paul are supplied by Luke's details of Barnabas' efforts in this recruitment undertaking, underline the importance he ascribed to the ministry of the world as the means of nurturing the saints. Those who've done detailed studies, Barnabas traveled 210 kilometers. And if you know something of Turkey and Syria today, it's a desert world. This is not 210 kilometers from Mundola to Lusaka by Mercedes-Benz. This is probably, if he was going by luxury transport, this was by camel or donkey. Most likely he walked on foot. And again, academicians have told us that this took on average eight days to get to the place we are told. This is in a desert. This is scorching hot. This is not easy travel by foot. And if you've seen camels on television and you've seen people riding on them and it looks a little more tourism-like, not comfortable. Uh, it's, it's not comfortable. When you see them go down this way, that's bad news. If you are on it three minutes, that's okay. You own it for two hours, that's torture. Eight days. Why is he spending so much time? Why is he exposing himself to the elements of nature? Why is he going through the desert one way eight days to look for one person? Why is he troubling himself like this? You probably only do things like this on a wedding day and when you hear the groom is missing. Are you thinking, what did you say? Is missing? No, no, no. We need to look for him. Then you can go around in dollar, maybe on a wedding day. Why is he doing this? And Luke tells us. It's because of the ministry he was going to come and do. For a whole year, taught. Barnabas is not looking for Paul simply to have good fellowship. That was partly. Simply to just come and say, here is the guru, look at him. No, no, no. He's going to look for this man he knows is gifted. He knows he's an expert missionary. He knows he knows how to raise and, as it were, instruct an upcoming church. He's going to look for him so that he can come and be alongside with him, a partner in the ministry of preaching 
and teaching. That's what he is going to do to look for soul. And when you pay attention to the words to look for has the sense of searching for him. So he is not just going, oh, where does he stay? Ndivu number four. No. He probably goes to Ndivu number four. He's not around. Where is he? Masala. He's not there. I think he traveled to Kapiri. Let's get to Kapiri. Oh, you just missed him. He's gone to Mwansabomu. And then we are told after this search, he found him. And then he says to Paul, look, I've looked for you. We need to get on our way. Maybe Paul be saying, I am busy here. You know what I am called to. You know my burden, Barnabas would say, there is a work. That's why Luke is telling us these things. He's telling us so that we may appreciate that the ministry of the world cannot be divorced from a people that will be Christ-like. You can never be like Christ unless you are obedient and immersed and you follow what he's taught. You obey his word. You, as it were, are committed to what the Spirit inspired for your instruction. That's why Jesus said, I'm not leaving you orphans, but somebody will take my place. And this is what the somebody will do. We will teach you the truth. He will lead you into truth. That's what he will do. And unfortunately, we live at a time when the scriptures are not important. All that we measure in, if it's working, uh, that's okay. You know, but pastor, this works. Or if it's not issues of working, if we feel good, beloved, if we come to church like today and we go home and we ask the question, how was church? And our answer is, it was good because we danced. It was good because our hair moved. It was good because somehow I just felt lifted. You know, there is was somehow, okay, okay, just so the somehow came from where? All those may be legitimate experiences. It is possible to come to church and you lift, lifted sentimental or emotionally, but it must have a basis. Must have a basis. You can't say, look, I can't explain this, but it happened. So because it happened, therefore it's true. No. It can happen and it's not true. For the whole year, they taught. They taught. And in this context, the scriptures they had were the Old Testament scriptures. They taught Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, they, they taught Malachi, they taught Hosea, they, they taught Ezekiel, they taught. But listen, obviously other things happened, but there is a reason Luke is deliberate, is lifting out this. He's not saying therefore they didn't see. 
He's not saying they didn't have the Lord's table. He's not saying they didn't have fellowship. But he's wanting to underline that which nurtured and informed everything. They prayed because the scripture says so. They had the Lord's table because the scriptures commands them. They had fellowship because the word of God. If they cried because they were told to cry, they dressed well. They were told to dress well. They were taught. And it is sad in many a conference, in many a church, that we are active and alive when we're singing, and it's a good thing to be alive, but when you sleep, when the preaching is on, that's unpardonable. Better sleep. When the notices are given, you, you probably can be forgiven. Because we'll give you a sleep. Uh, be reminded. A sleep uh, when something else, when preaching comes on, be awake. Obviously, that's comparative language. At no stage should we be happy for you to sleep anyway. But they taught. They taught. My prayer is that if we are a Bible believing church, no doubt we hold the scriptures as the supreme authority for conduct and faith. And all I'm saying is let's continue to hold on to it. Let's continue to hold on to the word. There will be many that will let go the word. And they will be in multitudes. Like I've said, beloved, if we wanted four services here and we liaised with the elders, all we need to do is to go to Nigeria and buy bottles of water and announce there is water from Nigeria. This will be small. Right? If I announced for some reason God was pleased and he gave me somehow his grace and I just came here and just looked in your heart and said, you need a job tomorrow one. I looked in your heart and I'm thinking, Ah, you are very lonely, husband, tomorrow. I looked in your heart. I mean, you went and announced this is who Pastor Lama has become. Over one week. Oh, but go and announce. Come and listen to the preaching of the word. Uh, they'll be saying, okay, so who is the preacher again? That's what they did. I've been in circles of Baptist a little long. I know what we do. That we, we are okay here. We sit here and say we're listening to the word. Oh, but when there comes a powerful man of God, even though his credentials are questionable, we sneak. We just go and hide in the crowd. We come on Sunday, Baptists, we believe in the word. <laughs> oh, you do? You do? I remember, I think that time I was at Tika, one of the lecturers was telling us he attended the conference at Savoy Hotel. I probably said this before, and they were told to come in here, leave your shoes outside, and we are going to teach you how to speak in tongues. And I'm saying, there's no scripture that says that. You know, there was a time when this laughing in the spirit, I'm not sure if it's there, maybe it's me who's out of the context. No, just laughing in the Holy Ghost. 
And somebody taught us, you know, I'll tell you how to do it. It comes from the belly. And I, No, beloved, they were taught. We must be ready to stand up and say, okay, that's what you are telling me. The laughter in the Holy Ghost is from the belly, according to which book? No, you asked too many questions. That's okay. If you're not comfortable with my questions, I leave you in peace. I'm on my way. You do the teaching to others who are happy to laugh under the belly. We laugh from the chest. <laughs> Paul's probably out on the mission field. And Barnabas had to look for him. And he found him. He brought him to Antioch. Why? For a whole year, they met with the church. And taught taught a great many people. For the whole year they met and taught because this was and is the means of nurturing Jesus' followers into his likeness. Beloved, there is no substitute for the word of God. There is none. And when I say the word, I mean the written word. Because I know might go out of here and we meet outside and you say the Lord has spoken to me. That's okay. But if he has spoken to me, to you, he has not spoken to me, that's your information. So don't say to me, because he has spoken to me by intuition or by discernment or by some sensation, I am going to ask, well, what did he tell you? Well, he told me I should slap you five times. Well, I tell you, which biblical objective truth supports that? The written word. The written word. There is no substitute. We must be men and women. If we are to be Christ-like, we, we are to be followers, we are to be disciples, learners, the manual, the handbook. It's the Bible. Read it. Start the Bible. Be immersed in it, memorize the scriptures, and obey the scriptures. For the whole year, they met. And as you read the scriptures, it's interesting that as you go to First Timothy 3, we have qualifications for elders. And all of them are to do with character except one. And that's important. An elder must be able to, are you here? An elder must be able to teach. Why? I mean, if he's not able to teach, how is he going to nurture the flock? How is he going to care for the flock? How is he going to counsel the flock? What is his biggest responsibility? An elder must be. And the scriptures are very good. It doesn't say an elder could. Or an elder may probably. Or an elder might. No, an elder must. Here is what that implies. That if any of the elders here, including myself, are not able to teach, we are disqualified. 
we have no business being in the eldership if we are not able to teach. Because that's our church is nurtured. What did Paul charge Timothy to do? To preach the word, season and out, as he learned it from the grandmother and mother. But Timothy, here is your responsibility. Teach! Because the ministry. Now you'd expect that Paul would include things like, and I'm not saying we, we shouldn't do this, but I'm saying in terms of priority, the Bible, the teaching ministry, is that which outranks them all. Should we cast out demons? Obviously we must. But if that's all we do, well, that's a dangerous business. And unfortunately, as Christians, we rarely pay attention to this. Cast out a demon from an unbeliever, and they don't get saved. You expose them to a worse situation. You cast out one, guess how many will come back? That's not good, is it? So maybe you should be saying to non-believers, you have demons, but can we start on salvation first? Because if I cast out the demon and you don't get saved, I'll have just driven you backwards. So demon casting, please do. Just be careful you are not like sons of Skiva. You may run out in a very disgraceful way. But be careful. But teaching and preaching every time. What's the instruction in the Old Testament in regards to children? Where they are sitting on the road. You are at home. Wherever you are, teach these things. Impress them. What did Jesus charge the disciples to do? in what we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And what do you do? Teaching them. That's how you make disciples. You go and make disciples, teaching them everything. What is Jesus saying? The ministry of teaching and preaching is what makes disciples. That's the means God has chosen to work through, to make disciples, to make followers. The Apostle Paul, I think it's in Romans chapter 10, would say something like this. How shall they be saved? Unless somebody preaches to them. They must preach the word. How does faith come? By hearing the word. What was John's assignment in preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ? Mark chapter 1 verse 7, preaching. That's how he prepared people. Preaching. What does Mark tell us Jesus was doing? Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time has come. What did he preach? Repentance and faith. He preached there are people who argue, and I'm not sure which Bible is used, that Jesus did more miracles than preaching. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus did more teaching and preaching than working miracles. Why? That's what nurtures the sense. That's what makes us Christ-like. Here is the implication, beloved. Do you love the scriptures? 
can it be said of you, as in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Is that us? If these meetings were modeled after the Jerusalem meetings, and there is no evidence they were not, that is the Antioch meetings, it involved as a major segment instruction in the teachings of Jesus and in the significance of his life, death, resurrection, and exhortation in the context of Hebrew scripture and the teachings of the apostles. You read the book of Acts. You evaluate the sermons that they taught, whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter, whoever taught, the content was clear. It was centered on Christ. And that's why they would be called Christians, because they lived out what they were taught. The importance of preaching and teaching is also brought out in the designation of Christians and disciples. Disciples are learners, and you can't be a learner without lessons. We are learners, and therefore we must be taught. The name Christian that was given to the believers in Antioch reflects the focus of the ministry of the word, preaching and teaching the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's what the prophets did. You go to the EU men, they will tell you that one of the problems today is we measure on prophets being future. Uh, the, the, this will happen, this will happen. When you go to EU, they will tell you there is what is called foretelling, prophesying after the fact. And you read whichever prophecy, that's the major chunk. God has said, and you do this. Not necessarily, this is what will happen tomorrow. Sometimes it's nauseating to listen to these prophecies. You are going to kick a stone tomorrow. So what? How does that help me to live a holy life? I'm going to kick a stone tomorrow. But even sad, they don't tell us how to avoid kicking the stone tomorrow. They just tell us tomorrow, bakaku molupi. Kusola shani. That's what is important. And when I'm slapped, they say, true prophet, Baku Moluki. <laughs> Beloved, these men and women were called Christians because they lived out what they were taught. The Bible teaches us many things. Oh, it tells men, the Apostle Paul writing, my memory is right, oh Peter, lift up your holy hands. That's what he tells men, lift up your holy hands. Oh, be like Sarah. Are you a lady? Be like Sarah. One of the ways you demonstrate if you are married is how you submit your husband. Decency, propriety. Modest are not optionals. They are biblical injunctions. Humility is a biblical injunction. Love for one another are biblical injunctions. We cannot be Christ-like unless we live out what we are 
taught. That is why every elder, every pastor, every women's leader must be concerned and pray that if the only time the ladies come for ladies' meetings is when there is an evangelistic tea party. And the reason they come is because of the underlined word, tea. If that's why they come, that's not a good sign. They must come even when what we may call hard stuff is being wrestled with. They must come. Even when what is being taught you don't like. You know, there are certain portions in the Bible, if it was up to us, would have edited Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> if it was up to us, would have removed. This is very confusing. He chose us before the foundation of the Lord and blessed us in. Yeah, no, but what about evangelism? It's hard stuff. I would have edited it. For God, for God, those for new, would have edited that one out. Jacob, I love. Esau, would have edited. Would have edited. Oh, it's in the Bible. And if it is, your responsibility and mine is to obey. It may challenge our position. It might cause us to look at this text and this one, and they seem to be contradicting our responsibility is to understand both. One of the questions I've received how do you reconcile individual responsibility and sovereignty? And I say to people, I'm not called to reconcile them. I'm called to believe both. Is God, is God sovereign? Are we responsible? Do we reconcile both? I don't know how you do that. Leave out what you are taught. Does the Bible call us evangelism? Evangelize. Don't be a hyper-Calvinist. And say, God is alive, is alive, okay, No, you are the means. Oh, by the way, hyper-Calvinism is heresy. So be careful. The, the fact that there is a name Calvin doesn't mean it's always true. Oh, by the way, Calvin was Roman baptism. Now some people are saying, now, just wait a minute, where are you going? Let's come to the text. Live out the truth. Are you a Christian? You value the Bible. You probably are here and are saying, were well, you just talking <clears throat> to Christians? I'm wrestling with sin. I don't know what to do with my life. Oh, the Bible has you in mind as well. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You cannot deal with your sin on your own. It's an impossibility. Unless God intervenes, your sin will not be dealt with. How is it that your sin can be dealt with and is dealt with? Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins. So come to Christ. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be enabled to live a Christ-like life. Maybe the reason... You and I are not living Christ-like lives. It's because we are not as instructed in the world as we should be. So may I challenge you, beloved. Let's be taught. Let's value the Bible. Let's not be selective. 
Let's love the scriptures. Love the scriptures. I, I literally get hurt. You probably see some of my emotions when people don't pay attention or don't love meetings where the Bible is taught. They would rather, they would rather, they would rather go somewhere and just climb trees. Please study, live out the word. Amen.